It's awesome to have you. My name is Nathan, and we're in the middle of this series called Habits. And like Derek said, this is the 13th straight week, but not of habits. This is like six or five or six of habits. But it's been awesome to be with you guys 13 straight weeks. Uh, I, I, I think you only didn't tell me one thing, how cold it is up here compared to where I was before. I, didn't, I haven't seen snow in November in a long time, so you guys did pull a fast one on me there. But it, it's been good to be here. It's, it's been amazing. And, and as much as you, know, you guys have enjoyed this, hopefully we have enjoyed it. And for the first time again in a long time, we are excited. I'm excited about ministry, excited about what God's doing and working, and I can't wait to see what's going to continue to happen. But like I said, we're in this series of habits, and we've been looking at all these different habits, and today, I'll be up front right, right now, this may not be the most fun conversation you've ever had, but I, I believe if you just give me some time and, and just understanding, this will be a conversation that you need to hear. I'm going to start with a story, though. I, I heard this story recently, and I, I love motivational stories. Like some of my favorite movies of all time, Rocky Balboa, like, you know, when the underdog rises up and like he defeats, the, you know, the odds or, or somebody does something amazing. Like I can watch YouTube videos and get pumped up and I'm ready to run through a wall. So this week I heard this story about Captain William Swanson, William Swanson, who won the Medal of Honor because of what he did September 8th, 2009. Captain Swanson was taking some other soldiers with him, and they were in Afghanistan. And they had some Afghan officials, Afghan soldiers, and American soldiers, and they were going to this remote village. And in this remote village, they were going to meet with some elders to kind of help bring out some peace and some situations. But on the way, they were ambushed. And so the enemy starts firing at them, and they start taking fire, and the situation gets crazy really fast, and people are dying and getting shot, and Captain Swanson kind of goes right into his training and right into his, what, you know, what he's supposed to do, is he starts running in to this ambush, and he starts dragging soldiers out and carrying them out, and he does this one by one until there's this young man who was shot in the neck. And they said they didn't know if he was going to live. They didn't know what was going to happen. So him and, and another soldier take this guy who can't walk, who, who is just bleeding, out of his neck. And they carry him to this medical ho- helicopter. And they get to this medical helicopter and something cool happens. There's this, there's this medic with a GoPro on his camera. And so you see Captain Swanson carrying this soldier to the, the helicopter. They place him in. And he does this weird moment where he kind of gives him a kiss on the forehead. I don't know why, but he's just kind of saying, like, I'm trying to calm him in that moment. And then you capture on the GoPro, you see Captain Swanson turn and then run back into the line of fire. Like you hear those stories, but you don't see those stories. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, is this the real life Captain America? Like, is this who Captain America is based off of? How do you become that type of person? How do you become the type of person that runs into the line of fire? Not just runs into the line of fire. How do you become the type of person that lives so sacrificially? How do you become the type of person who says, I'm going to look out for the interest of others, even if it hurts me? And I think deep down, all of us in some capacity want to be that type of person. So I started thinking, well, what, how are these people wired? Like, what is different about them? Are they braver and tougher? Yeah, he's braver and tougher, right? Is he stronger? Yeah. But what is it that makes these people who are, who are sacrificial, not just soldiers, but people who look at the, you know, they see a need and then they meet the need, what is it about them? Is it that they're smarter? Do they have more resources? What is it? Sure, they can have all those things. But what it comes down to is so simple. They choose to live that way. Captain Swanson, at some point in his life, and you hear him speak, he made that choice to be someone who would help others. There's people in, the, in this community who say, you know, I'm going to give my life work to helping other people. 
And when I said, I said, I want to live like that. I want to be a church that lives like that. And one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament kind of tells us how to live. And this is what it says. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. So what does the Lord require of you? How should we live? And it says this, to act justly, to see needs and to act justly and to help those who can't help themselves, to act justly, to live justly, to live rightly, and then to li- love mercy, to be compassionate, to be kind, to show mercy to other people. And as you're doing that, you're walking humbly with your God. And I love that verse because it reminds us that we're supposed to live outside of ourselves. And then I think of what the brother of Jesus said in James, and it says this. It goes, what is your life? Have you ever thought about life? What is your life? The purpose of your life? The meaning of your life? He says, what is your life? You are a what? A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Or you're like a snow on a November northern Indiana day that's on the ground for a little while. And then somehow by the end of the day, it's 70 degrees, and it disappears. But what James is saying is our life is so short that maybe if you're lucky, you have 100 years. And throughout the, the entire Bible, the New Testament, what we're trying to help us see, what God's trying to help us see, is that how we live in the midst, how we live right now matters. In this series, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to say, like, how we live actually matters. And so we've been talking about these habits, these habits we want to build in our lives that, that bring us closer to God, that restore our relationships with others, that, that just make life better overall. So we started with prayer. We said that God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants you to bring what's going on in your life. And that if you're going to change your life, you need to have God in your life, you need to talk to him. We talked about controlling our tongue. We need to watch what comes out of our mouth. Talked about controlling our anger. Talked about not being trapped by anxiety. And today we're going to get to a topic, and it's going to be like Lord Voldemort. You won't, you're not supposed to say his name, right, in Harry Potter. It's going to be like a venomous snake that you don't want to talk about. You're going to see it, and I'm going to see glossed over eyes in just a moment. But here it is, the habit of living generously. The habit of sacrificial living, I could have said. The habit of living outside of ourself and being generous with our time, our finances, and our skills and our ability in life. And here's what I want you to know straight up. As soon as we start today, Derek kind of mentioned it before, I don't expect you to believe what I believe about generosity. Matter of fact, if you don't follow Jesus and you're just checking us out and you're here, we're glad you're here. I don't expect anything from you. I would love to meet you and talk to you. That's about it. But if you follow Jesus, I do expect you to listen to what Jesus has to say. But when it comes to generosity, when it comes to any topic here, we don't, we don't operate on, on the operation sh- system of shame. The gospel isn't shaming us to do anything. We don't do that. So if you don't believe what I believe yet, I'm not going to shame you. All I'm going to ask you to do is like, listen, you've got 27 minutes. You're going to sit there and just think of nothing or just listen to me, right? So let, listen to me is a better option, right? So just listen, consider what I have to say, and maybe, just maybe, you may think of something new. Or maybe, just maybe, for the first time, God may speak to you about living generously or or generosity. But there's tension in this topic and there's tension in the subject because living this way, it it doesn't come naturally. You know what science tells us? That science tells us that naturally we're a little bit selfish. That we're a little bit selfish. And I came across this article that said, why humans are selfish. And I don't really need an article to tell me. I have a one-year-old at home. My one-year-old did not come out of the womb learning how to share, right? So my, cousin, my, my nephews are coming over this week, and I'm like, man, she's going to fight them because she doesn't want to share, right? So I see that. And I also started reading this study, and it said, men, hey, we're a little bit more selfish than, than women. But I also have some other um, kind of situation I want to play out with you. So there's a, st- there's a, 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 a proven way 
to prove if you're actually selfish. So let me draw the scenario. I want you to imagine that you're, pl- uh, you're flying. You can fly to wherever you want, but maybe you're flying somewhere warm. Florida, right? The beach, right? Wherever you're flying. And there's three seats. There's three options. Everybody knows the options. The aisle seat, the middle seat, and the window seat. So part- participate with me. How many of you would say, I want to sit in the aisle? Anybody in the aisle? Some of you, right? How about the middle seat? Anybody? A couple people, right? And so if you sit in the middle seat, you need extra help that I can't offer you today. And so you're going to have to check that another place, right? I don't know why anybody would sit in the middle, right? And then, how many of you choose the window seat? Raise your hand. All right. And this study said that they followed it and surveyed people. And the people who chose to sit in the window seat were the most selfish. And that was about everybody in the room, right? In my early days, like when I was a little bit younger, I loved to sit by the window. Um, I go to the bathroom a lot more now, so I want to sit in the aisle, okay? I, I like the aisle. But I was like, yeah, that's so true. And then I started thinking, well, where else in my life am I selfish? And I started thinking about one particular area. It's not a serious area, but it's a real area, and it does matter. I, we love to go out to eat. Um, we, we like restaurants, and we like to go out to eat. And when I go out to eat, I love appetizers. Anybody love appetizers? All right. I love appetizers so much that during COVID, and we couldn't go anywhere. I lived in the tri-state of the Cincinnati area. I had a mission. I'm going to find the best restaurant with the best mozzarella sticks, right? And I found it. And it was called Lawrence Burger, okay? But you'll never be there. But they had the best cheese sticks I've ever had. I love cheese sticks. I love appetizers. And then I got married, and somehow along the way, Whitney thought in our vows for, you know, richer or poor, like she meant that we were splitting our appetizers 50-50, right? That's not, that was never in my vows. And so we'll get appetizers. You know how they are. They're like stingy with their cheese sticks. They give you like five. Like, come on, you can't even split that two ways. And she's like, hey, 50-50. Like, no, 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 no. Like 80-20. You can have 20 or you can have a bite. Like, I want these appetizers. I want to store them up. I want to store them up. I want to hoard them up. I want to hoard them up. I want to hoard them up. And I think about that. I'm like, man. I do that in other places of my life. And so what Jesus is going to show us in just a moment, I'm going to look at a verse that talks about generosity, and here's the kicker. It doesn't mention money, and it doesn't mention generosity, right? It doesn't say anything about that. And so when I started going, you know, going to church, and I didn't go, grow up going to church, and I heard ministers talk about generosity, I didn't hear them talk about this, but Jesus did. And that's why I don't have any shame, because if I want your lives to be changed, we want you to find Jesus, and we want you to live like Jesus, and we want you to step in that life that Jesus has for you. And Jesus had the same thing. So he's given this sermon, and I've mentioned it many times in this, in this series, called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I keep referencing it is because the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to go and say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live. And he's talking to his disciples, and he's like, hey, if you're a follower of mine, and that's the kicker, we don't expect you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to believe anything we believe. But Jesus said, if you do follow me, there's a little bit different standard. You're going to live differently in this world than the people around you. So he's giving this sermon, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount, because he's literally, like, literally on like a mountaintop. And his disciples are right there, but other people are listening. And in the midst of this, in the middle, in chapter 6, he says this. He says what? Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. So he's like, don't store up things that are like obsolete, things that can break. And we don't have moths break into our house and stealing stuff, but at the time, they did. This, they, they would destroy stuff. Or we have things that rust, or we can, think like, we can think of like technology. Things become obsolete very, very quick, right? None of you, I shouldn't say none of you, very few of you still have a flip phone, okay, right? Or the little slide-up text phone. He's like, don't invest in all those things that break and steal and become obsolete. He's like, don't just store up and hoard those. Store your treasures in heaven. 
where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in the steel. Invest in things in this life that actually matter. Invest in building God's kingdom here. And then he says this, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your what? Your heart will also be. Jesus is getting at something here. And he's talking about generosity. He doesn't talk about money. He doesn't say generosity. He doesn't say a certain amount to give. All he says is don't store up. Don't store up. And this, this is not a one-time thing. It's not a one random event. He's saying this is the way you are to live. Don't live storing up. Don't live hoarding up. Don't live just trying to eat all the cheese sticks, Nathan. He's like, he's like don't store up. But he's talking about a lifestyle, lifestyle here. He's talking about a way we live life, a posture, if you will. And sometimes I think when we talk about generosity, like I said, it's like a venomous snake we're not supposed to talk about. But we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We shouldn't be embarrassed of it because we're not asking you to do anything, but we're asking you to have a posture, a way of living, right? And so I, I think there are so many myths. I think churches have gotten this so wrong and we, we've preached about it in such a negative and nasty way and, and a shaming way. And here we don't shame, I said. We don't shame anybody into believing anything. But I want to show you two myths that we get wrong so much. And because we get these myths wrong, we believe the false things, it leads us to have negativity when we talk about this. So here's one. Being generous is spontaneous. We think that generosity is just these random acts. Do you know what random generosity is or what random generosity makes you? Randomly generous, right? Randomly generous. And so, so many times you think, well, I I feel, you know, someone's pulling on my heartstrings and they're playing a little violin and they're showing the pictures of the kids in the other countries who need food and they're making me feel bad. So I'm going to give to a random thing and that's it. Or I see someone who's homeless or I see someone in need, I'm going to randomly give to them. And that's part of generosity. But if that's all it is, that just means we're randomly generous. And that's not what generosity is. And also here, the amount is what counts. I'm not going to talk about any amount today. I'm not going to talk about any percentages at all because God's not moved by amounts and percentages. He's moved by what's going on in here. And someone can give this huge number that is not a big percent to you, to them, but it's a huge percent to you. Or it could be like the person, in, the widow in the Bible who gives all she has, but it's a little point, a little amount. God's not moved by percentages and amounts. God's moved by generous living. So what is generosity? Generosity is a lifestyle. Everybody say lifestyle. A lifestyle. See, it's not random. It's a lifestyle that involves the giving. So it's giving up. It's not storing up of your money. I know that nobody likes talking about money. Time and talents. And I put these three because I, I believe that's where it starts. So what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is so simple. He's like, we don't store up. We give up. We don't store up. We, we don't store up. We give up. And there's tension as soon as I say that. Because here's the tension. Jesus is asking you to let go. Right? Imagine you're living like this. He's asking you to let go of something the world says you should hold tightly to. What does the world tell us to hold tightly to? Our money, our time, and our talents. You use your time, your money, and your talents to get you what you want when you want and to build your life and Jesus is saying listen listen I'm not saying you can't have money no he never says that I'm not saying you can't use your time differently I'm not saying you can't have talents I'm just asking you not to just store up but to be willing to, a, willing to share those things with the people around you and we're not naturally good at this there's something that one, uh, Stephen Covey calls the scarcity mindset the scarcity mindset involves this. 
that we, we live, and I don't know why we live like this in America, but we do. We live in, in such a way that we believe there's only so much to go around, especially when it comes to stuff that if my neighbor has stuff, that means I'm not going to have stuff. And that it's like there's only one pie, and we're all eating from the same pie instead of saying like, hey, I'm going to make many other pies, right? I'm gonna, you know, it's Thanksgiving coming up. Some of y'all family is going to eat a lot of pies, right? You just make more pies. But we're like, no, no, there's only one big pie. You know, I, if, if I get a piece, they don't get a piece. If they get a piece, I don't get a piece. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to store, I'm going to store, I'm going to hoard, I'm going to hoard, I'm going to keep my money, I'm going to keep my talents, I'm going to keep my time, I'm going to keep, 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 because there's not enough to go around. Or because you've lived in such a way at time in life where you didn't have a lot, so you're like, I, never, I, I, ha- I didn't have a lot at one point, and now I have some, and I'm not going to give this up. That's where, I, that's where my life falls. Generosity was not was not a value I grew up wanting to have. Living generously was never on my radar. You know what was on my radar? Get as rich as I can and get as many houses as I can and get as many cars as I can. That was what was on my radar. So I went into ministry, right? That's exactly how you do all those things. (laughs) Yeah. But I didn't have a lot growing up. I never went without, right? My mom and my stepdad did a great job, but man, at times things were tight. My, My buddies were wearing Nike. I was wearing Starter, right? You don't remember what that is, okay? Starter. You know, I, I was wearing Champion before Champion was big, okay? All right, now you got to pay 50 bucks for Champion. You used to pay $5 for Champion. It wasn't cool in 2008, trust me. I didn't have a lot, so I, I started making a little bit of money in college. And I would just go out and I would buy stuff. I had the nicest, clo- nicest closet on my, my floor in college in my dorm room. I just bought and bought and bought. And this, this mindset is like keep going, consuming, consuming, consuming. It, it's something that I carried with me for a while. I got married. And I remember a couple of years ago, Whitney walks into my closet. We, ha- we have separate closets. And she's like, man, you got a lot of stuff. And I said, hey, if you stay out of my closet, you won't have to worry about how much stuff I got. Easy. Right? What are you doing in there? You're not supposed to go in there. That's like the rules of marriage. You don't go in the other person's closet. And she went in there and she's like, hey, you have so much stuff. Your bar in your closet is bending. And then we started going through my shirts. And I have, like, shirts that were two sizes too small. And she's like, what are you going to do with that? I don't know, but I'm not getting rid of it, right? I might use that someday, right? I might, I might shrink again. I don't know. I want it. I'm not getting rid of it. And I just store it up, store it up. And it took, like, to give stuff up, to donate stuff at times was hard. And so, I, you know, this, what I'm talking about wasn't, wasn't natural for me until I started understanding what generosity was. Because I know what happens in a scarcity mindset. Here's what happens. Somewhere in your mind, you have an idea of this magical land. What's the magical land? Called enough, right? At some point, in some way in your life, you have a point where you can say like, okay, this is it. When I get to this amount or this stuff, then it's going to be enough. Do you know what happens in the land of enough? You never reach enough. You know why? Because you just keep sliding the scale. I wanted a motorcycle. I got a motorcycle. I got a Honda Shadow. You know what a Honda Shadow is not as good as? A Harley Davidson. Listen, I, so like I had the motorcycle and I moved it. And you're like, hey, well, you know, I just got to get enough. And then you get more and guess what you do? You spend more and you buy more and you move it and you move it and you move it. And you never get to enough. And then eventually some minister will start talking about generosity. And you're like, that's a really good idea. And then you kind of say something like this. Well, when I just get enough, when I get more, then I'll give more. When I get more, then I'll give more. 
When I get more freedom, I'll give more time. When I get more finances, I'll get more, give more money. When I have more talents, I'll, I'll give more talents. But here's the, here's the reality, and this is, this is awkward. This is going to not be fun to say. But do you know what you'll do when you get more? The same thing you've been doing when, when you had less. Because generosity is not about amounts or percentages. It's about living a way of life. So if you're not generous with less, you might be spontaneously generous with more, but your heart will be the same. And Jesus is saying, I'm not into these random spontaneous moments. I want you to live in such a way that your life is changed. So the question becomes this, because if you didn't grow up in church, like, I, I was like, why? Why do we do this? And I never got the answer. I never got this, but I started asking, what motivates us to live this way? So I started looking for that answer myself. I said, why do I live this way? Why do I live this way? And, and so amazing how God works. I found the answer in the easiest Bible verse of all time, the most well-known Bible verse in the world. Wherever it's yellow, you guys read, so it's only one word. You guys, you can do that? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave man you guys are good at reading good job he gave his one and only son i love that he gave that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for god so loved you for god so loved me for god so loved the world that he gave to me and he gave to you and he gave his what he gave his son he gave his very best and if you have nothing else as long as you have that jesus said you got everything the bible says you got everything but what else does God give you? You know what God gives you also? God gives you an opportunity, if you, if you take it, if you want it, to have a clean slate. So I started thinking, what does God give me? God gave me a guy who grew up without his dad, whose dad died when he was nine years old because he went out one night, was drinking, driving, and dies in a car accident. And that he has a family that's gener- generationally poor, never had a family member go to college, didn't have much growing up, had family members in jail. And God gave me a clean slate and said, listen, through my son Jesus, you don't have to live that way anymore. He's given many of you a clean slate. That's why we have amazing stories in here about God reaching people who are stuck in some chaos in their life and coming out of that, and God has given them so much more. God's given us mercy and forgiveness, but most of all, he's given us this. Here's what I believe. I believe that all people spend eternity somewhere. That every one of us, even if you don't believe that, I believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because James says, what is your life but a mist? hundred years, but eternity is forever. God's given us the greatest gift of all time. What happens is, and the why we're living this way, we're living a lifestyle of generosity, is motivated or spurred on by, by realizing how much God has given us through Jesus. It's an overflow of realizing what God's done in your life. So the question becomes then, okay, Jesus says, don't store your treasures up. Then what are your treasures? And I'm not talking about like your Hallmark treasures, okay? Like, listen, like your family and your kids. I know, guys, you're going to have the great Christmas cards and your family's going to look good. The kids are going to look good. All right, that's your church answer, all right? That's your treasures. I'm talking about the worldly things of this life, like uh, money, retirement funds, 401ks, I'm not a financial advisor, but you might want to check on those, right? You know, your, your security, your homes, your cars, your motorcycles, your toys. What are your treasures? 
What are your treasures? The things that you need for security and purpose, the things that you feel like you know, are, are going to give you value in life. And listen, Jesus never said you can't have those. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't say you couldn't be rich. He said it's going to be hard if you're rich to not let money consume you. He, he never said you can't have nice cars, nice clothes, a big house, a big boat. He never said any of those things. What he says is none of those things can have you. He goes on to say this. Those things can't have you. Don't store those up because wherever your treasure is, the desire of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, it's also the places in life that you will invest. And then he goes on to say, and this is why it's so dangerous. Because no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he gets to the point. You can't serve both God and money. Can't do both. Let me translate it. This is your life. Jesus says, there's a throne of your life. He's referring to it as your heart. And, and he's saying, there's a throne of your life. And only one thing can sit on that throne. Right? It's, it's not very big. And he says, it, it can be God, or it can be you and your stuff. But it can't be both. Not that you can't have that stuff. No one said that, right? But he's like, God or your stuff. Because whatever's in here, whatever's on your throne is what you're investing in. Whatever you're building on, Jesus says, listen, your life has so much more meaning, and so much more purpose than just to add stuff on this throne. Stuff, 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 stuff. That God has so much more for you than just getting stuff in this life. And when it comes to generosity, here's what's so important to understand. that This is what I want you to hear above all else. God wants our heart more than he wants our money. When Jesus talks about generosity, what he's really talking about, he's like, I don't want something else to be on your throne. Because when you put something else on your throne and you worship it and you invest in it and you give to it because you want more, he's like, you're, gonna leave, you're always going to leave unsatisfied because enough is never enough. All that stuff is going to fail you. Think of cell phones. Again, we don't carry flip phones. We carry, you know, iPhones. This, the house, the, the roof leaks. You buy a brand new house, the most expensive house you ever bought. And find out the day you buy it that the water heater breaks, right? You need a brand new water heater. That's what happened when I moved here, right? Like you need a brand new one. All that stuff lets you down. But your life has more meaning than that. He's like, don't let stuff steal your throne. He said, let God fill your heart. You know what happens when God fills your heart? When your heart is full of God's love, generosity flows out of you. It's an overflow of what's going on in here. We believe that Jesus transforms our life. We believe that you can radically have a radical encounter with Jesus and you can change your life completely. But part of that transformation is the way we live. And part of that way we live changes how we view our stuff. It's not that you can't have it, not that you can't have nice stuff. No one's saying that. It just changes how we view it. It changes what's on our throne. Because you guys matter to me. We, we say that you matter. And part of why I got into the ministry is I believe Jesus changes our lives because he changed my life. He changed my history. But I ultimately believe eventually, one day, at the end of our lives, after this mist is over, we'll stand face to face with God and we'll, ask, we'll answer something like this. The question will be, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him? Did you put him on the throne? And then we'll answer this question. 
What did you do with what I gave you? Not anybody else. What did you do with what I gave you? Not just money, but with your time and your resources and, and, and your gifts and your financials. What did you do with what I've given you? Because God has given us this. Like, and we're to be good stewards with it. He's given this to us. What did you do with it? Did you put your stuff on the throne and build your kingdom? And in that mess, you lived an amazing life, but you missed eternity? Or did you build my kingdom and use your stuff to glorify my name? There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Elijah. Elijah was, was working in the field. He was, a pl- he was a farmer. He was just plowing, right? You know, just plowing, plowing, plowing. He had these oxen. He's just plowing and plowing and plowing. And one day, a prophet of God named Elijah, I know the names are tricky, Elijah and Elijah, but Elijah was a prophet of God. And he comes to Elijah and says, hey, listen, Elijah, God has something for you in your life, so much bigger than plowing a field. And he says, this is what God wants to do. He wants to do something amazing through you. And they have this conversation, and you can read about it in 1 Kings 19. They have this conversation, and Elijah goes, goes, okay, I'm going to give everything I have to God, but let me go tell my family goodbye. So he goes and tells his family goodbye, but we also read this. So Elijah left him and went back. This is what we're going to see. This is what living a lifestyle of generosity looks like. He took his yoke of his oxen, so the plows and everything, the yoke that's carrying the weight, and he slaughtered them. So he slaughters the oxen, and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. So this is an act of generosity. He's giving his stuff to people, right? He's giving it, and they ate, and then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I love this. Elijah comes to Elisha and says, God wants to do something amazing in your life. And you know what he does? He says, okay, I will. Whatever God wants, I'm going to give to him. I'm going to give my life to God. He says, I'm going to be used by God. And what he does is he kills his oxen and he, and he cooks somebody. He uses his plowing equipment, his farming equipment to cook the oxen. And what he's doing, he's saying, I'm burning my security blanket. I'm putting a stake in the ground saying, God, everything I am, everything you ha- I have is yours. Use me the way you want to use me. And I wonder, because I look at my life, and I, I know you've got to be similar to me at times, that God's chiseling on us, and he's working on us. And he's like, hey, I want to do something amazing in your life, but you're holding on to stuff. You're holding on to all the stuff in the world. He's, you're like, hey, God, I'll do whatever you want, as long as I get that nice house. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, as long as it's where I want to go. God, I will do whatever you want me to do with whatever you will give me, as long as you give me these cars. As long as I have this amount in my bank account. But Elijah says, no, no, forget all that. I'm burning the plows and I'm serving you, God. And you know the amazing thing about God using people is this. The, those used most by God often hold on to the least in this life. Those used most by God often hold on to the least. And it has nothing to do about percentages and dollar amounts. It has nothing to do with your earthly wealth or not. Some of the richest people I know, the most wealthy people I know, are, hold on to the least and are used by God in more ways than I could ever imagine. God wants to use your life to do something amazing. And what I love about Revolution and 13 weeks of being here is I hear the stories about the, 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 the origin story of Revolution, starting in a third-story bank. Like, who does that, right? On a bank, third story of a bank with one elevator up, right? You got to squeeze all in there. And they grew and they went to the Aaron's building and then eventually they became big for that and had to build a second story. Eventually they bought this building over here and they're continuing to help people find Jesus and live like him. This church is built off a history of generous people. It has nothing to do with about amounts or dollar signs. It has to do with the posture of heart, the people who make up this family. 
And as we continue to do what God's called us to do and help people find Jesus and live like him, we ask you to partner with us. Partner with us in your generosity of finances, of time, and talents. So God can use us in Cass County and Logansport the way he wants to use us. That God can use us individually in our lives the way he's called, the, called us to don't, kind of sacrifice ourselves to him. God, what do you want to do with me? Because I'm letting go. So what, what, where do we start today? I think the easy place is to start, start somewhere. For some of you, it's going to be with your time or your talents. Some of us, it's going to be finances. Start, start somewhere. Don't worry about the percentage or the dollar amount. We'll get to that down the road. But start somewhere. And then secondly, ask God where he's calling me to be more generous. Part of my vision for generosity is real, real simple. I want to impact next generation. I'm tired of the next generation having suicidal thoughts. I'm tired of them feeling alone. And as we did the student nights a couple weeks ago and coming up again, we have students that came here last service with their families for the first time. That's amazing, right? And that's what generosity does. And we're not shaming you or trying to force you into anything. That's what breaks my heart. So that's what I give to. Ask God where he's calling you to be more generous. And ask God, God, how can I put you on my throne of my life? God, how can, can I be generous in the way you're calling me to be generous? And it looks different for all of us. But as long as we're investing here as leaders, as a staff, we're going to be a church that does not just be, ask you to be generous so we can store up, but we can give up. We can reach the next generation, and we can reach the lost, and we can help people find Jesus and live like him. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that you, you were the ultimate giver. That before you ever asked us to give anything, you gave us Jesus. You gave us breath in our lungs. God, and all we're praying is that we don't store up but give up. That we, we follow your example. We follow Jesus' example who, who gave us time, his energy, but ultimately his, life, ultimately his life for us. God, we are so thankful for that. And I pray we continue to be a community focused on not storing up but giving up. God, we ask you, where do you want us to be generous? What do you want us to do, God? Here's our life. And we give to you. God, we're going to continue to praise and worship you because you are the only one deserving in this life. It's in your name we pray.